This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. I think mood's starting to really wear thin on the closed border policy. I hate this term, Fortress Australia. It makes me feel so uncomfortable and I suspect a lot of Australians feel the same way. My fear is that it makes Australia sound like we're xenophobic, like we're mean-spirited, that we're intolerant or racist. Coming out and saying you need to stick up for your mates and sometimes you can't walk away, even though you should. Ridiculous by Damien Hardwick and anyone who has known anyone who's been involved in a fight that has led to tragedy because punches can do that. The media sort of let them get away with it. Brendan Gale defended him. I don't think Peggy O'Neill did enough. On Saturday night, we had just a small gathering at home, including your husband, who's batching it at the moment. Brendan came over as well. I um, hope he's batching. <laughs> certainly hope he is. He did come with a beautiful date who has jet black hair, queenie. She was so well behaved, she only did a whittle on the carpet once. <laughs> you do love a pass around hot suggestion. You're well, very good at that. Well, I love a hot suggestion. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. And welcome, everybody, to episode 172 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson, talking to you from quarantine in Sydney. And, Corrie, in the studio, you're going to tell us about your beautiful mini break in central Victoria. I've got a movie. You've got a recipe. You've got a fabulous new book. And as always, my dear friend, there's heaps to talk about. How are you? So much. I'm very well, thanks, Caro. Good to see you on the screen. And not long now, Caro, you'll be... Day seven, let out, let out. Halfway. Tell me something. Halfway. I've been wondering how you're going without a blow wave. I, I blow wave my own hair the other day. It took me about 45 minutes, but I had all the time in the world. And if I do say my, so myself, Corrie, it didn't look too bad. It doesn't my look too bad. I can off. see you on the screen. You don't look too bad at all. Oh, a bit dishevelled after a workout with my son, Ned, who's been fabulous. But um, my sister sent in two different hairbrushes and I did the twirls and the everything. It was great. Um, but I am looking forward to my hair. I, I do look a bit like a Yeti. My hair is very long. Oh, not at so, all. Um, <laughs> Corrie, um, we, have, we have housekeeping. Um, I received um, notification. If I did say last week that I couldn't have a COVID test before I flew which I don't know if I did, what I said was I was advised not to get the vaccine 24 hours before I flew to Europe, which just because of I was warned that there might be an issue with blood clots. Look, I don't know whether that would have happened or not, but I was advised maybe not to risk it. So I'm sorry if I um, confused anyone. Have you got anything you want to deal with? Um, I should. Before you do, can I just thank Red Energy again, our wonderful sponsor, Australian Electricity and Gas, 100%. And we will be opening up a wonderful cocktail cabinet with Miles, thanks to Prince Wine Store. And good old Miles, I think, is going to, we're going to be talking about winter whites, Corrie, which I'm very excited about. We are, which is an old fashion term from the 80s, Caro. Carla Zampatti, Jane Lamerton, Country Road, they all did winter whites. I have very strong, <laughs> not, some, not so fond memories of going from one fashion designer to another when I worked with Harper's Bazaar and just seeing yet another range of winter white going, oh, I'm just so sick of this. But, Caro, uh, first of all, via our Instagram account, which anybody can jump on board and be part of our little family there, its uh, handle is at don't shoot pod. 
there is so much love and support and congratulations to you and to Rose and Oscar on the birth of your grandchild Sunday. I'm sure you've seen a lot of the really lovely remarks, but on your behalf and their behalf, thank you everybody for, gosh, there's just such a, it's such a lovely community, the old messenger gang. Really, it's like everybody's friend has had, well, you are a friend of everyone, Caro, but it's like, you know, their best friend has had a grandchild and everybody's so excited for you. So thanks for that, everyone. And I hope all's going well in Amsterdam. She's four weeks old now, little Sunday. And yeah, things are things are chugging along. I'm missing them though, and um, it is a bit frustrating. Quarantine's a bit like being in purgatory. You're sort of in no man's land, and it would have been given that I can't do all the things I normally do, like go on footy classified and go for walks with my friends and see my husband. That was not probably the best order to say those three things, was it? <laughs> Brendan's not listening. <laughs> see no. my husband, number one, and my other beautiful children. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather be over there with Rose and Oscar and Little Sunday, but anyway, I'm not. And I have felt a bit like Rumpelstiltskin as I looked down from the 21st floor of my hotel, wondering if I did let down my hair, whether someone would come and rescue me. But only a week to go. You've only been away a couple of weeks. She hair's not that long yet. Caro, the, you, you and Jane are recording a lovely little bonus episode called Caro in Quarantine, which people can access via their usual podcast supplier. But I did want to mention an event that we are hosting next Next Monday, and it's thanks to Red Energy, our lovely sponsors. The suggestion is that if you are a Red Energy subscriber, so we're making this quite exclusive, you can join Caro and myself next Monday, the 24th of May at 6 p.m., although we'll have to confirm that time exactly, but it'll be around drinks time. We're going to have a breakout of quarantine cocktail. You, me, our lovely producer, Miss Jane, just contact Jane feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and we'll send you the invite. And thank you to Red Energy who, gosh, I hope, Miss Jane, they're going to provide a beautiful bottle of French champagne or something like that. We've got a lot (laughs) to celebrate. My sister, Corrie Moggs, has been sending in the mini bottles of Prosecco. I was telling Jane on one of our little quarantine podcasts with the soaked sugar cube in brandy for me to have a champagne cocktail every night. But anyway, you're going to make me very jealous now because you have been on a mini break. Tell me all about oh, it. Oh, hooray, hooray. So this was booked. We went to Kyneton, Caro. So it's not exactly, it's not as exotic as you going to Yamba in February, but nonetheless, it was wonderful and enjoyable. We first booked this, the three C's, check who's my eldest daughter, Francesca, Cheka, Coco, other daughter, and myself. We booked this last March or the end of March. We had to cancel because of lockdown. We then subsequently tried to nail three weekends, never made it. And finally, last Thursday and Friday, off we went to Kyneton. I met the girls on Thursday afternoon. After recording our podcast here, Carol, I hit the road. And of course, what does someone do when you go to a new town? You book a blow wave and you ask the hairdresser, where are the best places to eat? I would like to thank Denise at Stratford Hair Salon in Kyneton, not only for a fantastic blow wave, um, but also for really good tips on where to eat and where to shop. And the girls and I, and of course we had baby Max in tow, um, so it was the three C's plus Max. We had an absolute ball and we ate ourselves stupid. Unfortunately, the much raved about spaghetti bar which is a bit more glam than its very, I suppose, um, 
you could say pedestrian name. Uh, it, it was booked out Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights with a waiting list. So if anybody's going to Kyneton, check out the spaghetti bar. We went to the Oaks on Friday night for dinner. That was great. Um, one restaurant turned us away uh, on Thursday night because I hadn't made a booking. Um, they turned us away. They had a no baby policy. So that was a bit of a bummer. But we went to this amazing burger place, Major Tom, which was a tip confirmed by our friends Ben and Adrian who we caught up with a drink at the Botanic upstairs at the old Royal George Hotel on Thursday. And they said, look, go over the road and have a burger. It's fantastic. And oh, my lordy, I'm not usually a burger queen, but boy, did I become one. Other great yeah, Once in a while, once in a while, a burger does it. Which was the restaurant that turned you away? I, well, I don't want to say that, but it was in it was in Piper Street. And look, the guy was really nice. It was raining and we were a bit tragic, actually. It was like something out of Dr. Zhivago. There we were all wrapped up with our scarves and our little baby and in the pouring rain and they turned us away. I felt like Julie oh, Christie. How, I don't think that's very nice at all. <laughs> no, well, he did. No, the gentleman did say, look, I'm a father. I have children. I completely understand. But we, and I understand because it was an expensive restaurant and perhaps other diners don't want a baby. But Max was sound asleep. Anyway, we found uh, we found our burger and we were very happy. But other places that we ate, Duck Duck Goose, which is a really great place in Piper Street, um, you know, a big kind of barn-like place, uh, terrific salads and so on. Um, on the Friday, we did a bit of a tour around. We had uh, a great meal at Trentham General in Trentham with the Cozy Fire. Uh, we went to Is Dalesford. Trentham really the prettiest city, prettiest town in Victoria? I tell you what, Carol, I reckon in uh, – we were saying that we we're probably three weeks too late for everything to be the prettiest ever because the autumn leaves are falling. But you can see that three weeks ago, I would say Trentham probably with bright – in, uh, in northern Victoria would have been the most beautiful towns in Victoria. We just had a great time and um, we were lucky to do all this because I found our little venue where we stayed through Flophouse. Flophouse.com.au. If you're looking for a getaway, Melburnians or anybody really, get onto flophouse.com.au. Genevieve uh, runs this organisation. It's a group of like-minded home and getaway owners who have registered their little shacks, their houses, their farms with uh, with Flophouse. Carol, do you remember a hundred years ago, you and I, um, you came to stay with us at Charter Farm in central Victoria, just yes. out of Castlemaine? Well, we were, deli- we were delighted to see that Charter Farm has now been listed with Flophouse. So you just jump on there. We stayed at Harpsichord House, which is a gorgeous little timber construction, actually in Genevieve's back garden, which is not just a back garden, can I say? It's beautiful. And we were able to walk everywhere in Kyneton. And um, there is a special offer for listeners, Genevieve. Genevieve said. Now, um, if you book with flophouse.com.au and if you would like a coffee at Duck Duck Goose, the chap uh, who is the owner of Duck Duck Goose, whose name suddenly escapes me, but um, we'll have it on the show notes, he'll give you a free coffee if you say, hi, I listened to the podcast and I booked flophouse.com.au and my name is blah, blah. So that's really nice. Well, Corrie, it sounds wonderful. I'm sorry you didn't get three or four nights because I think a mini break three nights is even better, isn't it? However, look, any night, any night, any night is a good night with your daughters. So I felt, I felt very blessed, Caro. Uh, which is probably. Um, you know, kind of a nice segue to the idea of nobody coming in and out of Australia, because we have to um, we have it. to be shopping local and travelling local. For this whole Fortress Australia debate, it's just becoming uh, more and more heated and controversial. 
Although, interestingly, recent uh, polls over the weekend have shown, suggested that a lot of people are actually, a lot of Australians are actually in favour of us opening up the borders with strict controls. I wonder where you stand on this whole debate. Well, first of all, I'm horrified by some of the stories I'm seeing coming out of India. And it does feel, I mean, it does feel quite strange to see our cricketers come home and be given such special treatment when perfectly ordinary you know, well-behaved Australians are getting bumped off flights. It's just horrible. Um, but the mood's turning, isn't it? And I think I think I can understand why even Brett Sutton is now saying, uh, oh, knock, knock, that's a knock at the door, Corrie. Do you mind if I pick up my coffee? No, go and, no go and get your coffee because there are a couple of things that you I want to say. I you will. keep talking. I will. I will. You won't hear me, but I'm, what I'm, I, I've got the floor, Jane. Jane's listening. I just, um, I wanted to say that... Um, this whole term Fortress Australia, I really fear is something that is going to stick with us forever. It's a bit like the white Australia policy term of 70 years ago. I hate this term Fortress Australia. It makes me feel so uncomfortable and I suspect a lot of Australians feel the same way. My fear is that it, it makes Australia sound like we're xenophobic, like we're mean-spirited, that we're intolerant, racist, bigoted narrow-minded, the whole bit. And gosh, you know, will we return to a time when the politics of tough borders and anti-immigration sentiment and the fear of the other, Caro, are seen as good politics? I mean, there was a suggestion on the weekend by some commentators that Scott Morrison thinks the closed borders is a successful policy to take to the next election, which would just be shocking. I I would feel like we're back in the Tampa election of the early 2000s. No, I, I think you're right, Corrie. I think that the um, I think mood's starting to really wear thin on the closed border policy, and um, I think that um, it's funny being over in Europe where they they ask how's COVID going in your you know your country, and you say oh well, we're really worried at the moment in Victoria because we've had one case, <laughs> and they just sort of laugh, and. Um, they look at us with envy and say, you've done the right thing. It's so great you're in Ireland, you can close your borders and you don't have this problem. But I do see what you see when you're in a city that's, you know, in a, a country that's having tens of thousands of cases a day. Things are closed, sure, but things are also going on as normal. And I think I think once a certain amount of people are vaccinated, Corrie, I think you're going to have to open up the borders again. Well, I don't see we have any choice. Well, Caro, I know there'll be a lot of potties listening to us who don't agree with this, and I have to stress that I am a first-hand grassroots sufferer of last year's lockdown. When your business takes a dip of around 20%, yet your costs remain the same, and you lose your income, as I did, and you try so hard for months, and in fact, we still haven't stabilised our business, you do form a very clear view about how this virus has to be tackled and what measures need to be taken to get the vaccination out and quarantine stations secured and health measures followed. But I'm just sort of left perplexed by the role of the federal government, particularly in relation to the you know swift vaccine rollout and also also finding alternatives to hotel quarantine, that whole model. I just feel like federal government lead us out of this mess and you've got to open the borders because as every commentator and ec- economist and global trader and local exporter and big and small business owner, the university sector, as everybody will tell you, we need to reopen the borders in order to get people moving in and out and our goods moving in and out as well. 
Yeah, I'd be amazed if June 2022 stays as they're saying it is. But in the meantime, let's just have lots of mini breaks and plan lots of trips around our beautiful country, eh? Yeah, well, I agree with that. Caro, I loved your um, your column coming back with a big punch on on Saturday in Saturday's column in The Age where you talked about uh, Jeff Brown, an old friend of yours and mine, possibly taking over the president's chair at Collingwood, even though there is a new president installed there. Uh, yeah, I think I think the challenge is on. I think that um, Jeff will make his move. He's been very – keeping his cards close to his chest, but his friends of his are telling me that something will happen in the next few weeks. And I, I do think the old board has to go, Corrie, or a lot of them. I mean, they've had their chance. They allowed a lot of things to happen that shouldn't have happened. I, I think it's time for a new broom. And I'm just not sure that Mark Corder, having been – Eddie's vice president for, you know, the last however many years is the right man. And I think Jeff has a bit of pizzazz. He's got some pretty firm ideas. He'll certainly shake up the um, AFL scene, not just at Collingwood, but across the industry. Um, at and, a time and Carol, where, he's where had losing. such vast experience. He's a lawyer originally. He's worked closely with the AFL. Uh, he worked for Channel Nine for a bit there, so he gets the media landscape. He would seem well, like he ran a, Channel Nine. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah that's Eddie right. Sorry, yeah, managing director. So he said he said he's, he's got all, the runs on the board. Yeah, he does. He was the AFL lawyer for many many years. He has an intimate knowledge of their rules. Very strong views on the media landscape at a time when you know we're heading into the unknown a bit there, and and obviously, and I think he's got some pretty strong views about. Con- as well and where that could land for the AFL legally. So it's going to be a very interesting scenario. But you realise since um, you and I started the podcast again at the start of this year, we have not um, one woman president but now three in the mm. AFL. I know. It's so Melbourne now fantastic. has a woman president because they um, they shafted Glenn Bartlett after um, – oh, well, he lost the support of the board for a number of reasons I won't go into. And, of course, some, so, so – um, Kate Roffey is um, is um, there, and then we've got Kylie Watson Wheeler at the Western Bulldogs. So the numbers are growing, and I, I think you know strong presidents really what they need to be. They need to have a line director, Gillan McLaughlin and Richard Goyder at the AFL is what they need to do. They need to obviously stand up for their club and make some pretty big decisions. When the Collingwood president said it won't be his decision whether or not Nathan Buckley's being re-signed. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Of course it's your decision. And I did notice Peggy O'Neill get a very get a bit of a grilling, really, last week. Our favourite, Peggy O'Neill from Virginia Trioli, over some of Richmond's off-field behaviour and where she stood on all of that. And I thought that was good because I think Peggy would have felt pretty compromised last week. I really do. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, to think of the old uh, the old guard, the old-style AFL president you and I grew up with, your dad included, but, you know, Alan McAllister and, all, you know, all these kind of big personality people. George... Um, uh, George Harris. Yeah, Harris at Carlton. And governance these days has to be a consideration. These directors are liable for things like concussion. And if um, financially the club goes under or the AFL has sort of become the banker of most of the weaker clubs now. But in the last few years, this massive, you know, big names like Colin Carter and Peter Gordon and Eddie Maguire, so many Rob Chapman in South Australia. There's been a, a long list and a few more have just gone in the last few months. 
of big high-profile presidents who've left the scene, and that weakens the clubs in their relationship with the AFL. So, yeah, it's a big concern. And here we are with the cocktail cabinet. Miss Jane is walking down the aisle, handing out her martinis, and we have Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store with us, Caro. Hello, Miles. Hello, hello. Caro's in quarantine still. I'm drinking alone here in the studio. Miss Jane has refused. She's on the chamomile tea. And so I just wondered what our topic was today. What are you filling up in my glass today, Miles? Uh, I think we're going to do some, some winter winter white. It's not quite winter, but it is getting pretty cold. So some white are a bit suitable for cooler weather. Oh, brilliant. Do you have a favourite white that you'd like to drink or a style of wine that you'd like to drink in winter? Not really, Corrie. You know I love Riesling. I obviously love a good Viognier, even though I can't pronounce it. Chablis. Maybe Chardonnay. And I'm sure, Miles, you'll have something from that selection to give us. I have two really good options. I'll start with the, uh, the first one, which is the Wanted Man, Marsan Roussan Viognier. So that sounds perfect for you there. Oh. If you haven't heard of Marsan and Roussan, they're a, a French varietal from France, but they're lovely, rich, kind of lemon and, and uh, apricot sort of flavours, along with that Viognier. And, and they're, they kind of talk about it being an alternative to Chardonnay. I tell you what, Caro, I reckon you and I back in the 80s, do you remember Ian Hewitson's restaurant Fleury in Turak? Yes, oh, I you, do. I reckon, great, oh, I reckon you that. and I might have had dinner there together. I, I had a Marsan for the first time in my life. There. Isn't that funny? I haven't remembered that for eons. I was a huge fan of Marsan back in the 80s. It was big then, wasn't it? Well, Australia used yeah. to brand it, didn't they, Miles? The famous Chateau de Bilk, but then they weren't allowed to anymore. Yeah, that's right. So de Bilk <clears throat> makes it a really great example. And, and this is really similar in a lot of regards to it. Has a, has a similar sort of flavour profile, but it's really fantastic. If you like something a bit richer and fuller, it's just such a perfect job. And that Viognier gives it that little bit of extra kind of apricot, exotic kind of thing. So really, really great little wine. And we actually got it on pour at Bellotta at the restaurant. So if you just want a glass rather than a bottle... You can go in there too. And tell us about the restaurant that is next door to Prince Wine Store, Miles, because a lot of people aren't aware that there's a little food and beverage situation happening down at your place. Yeah, it's such been a really amazing addition. And um, Nikki Reamer is the chef there, and she's fantastic. Her food's awesome. I mean, the whole team's great. Really relaxed, very casual. Um, they've got a really fantastic wine list, really awesome by the glass. They have some stuff on Coravin, some really special wines. And then, of course, you have access to the whole store as well as far as wine. So you can grab anything from the store and take it next door and grab a bite to eat and have a wonderful bottle of wine or two. Well, we're hoping at the end of the year sometime, Carol and I can get down there to do a bit of an event with yourself and Michael and all the gang at Prince Wine Store. And, of course, yeah, the, restu- awesome. the restaurant next door. I think that'll be really fun. And Potty's uh, keep... Keep an eye on our diary dates for that one. So that's the Massan and the Viognier. Tell us about the, any special that you may offer our Don't Shoot the Messenger potties. So for all the listeners, it's 10% off with the code M-E-S-S, and you just put it in uh, at your cart when you're uh, checking out. And uh, we have the Don't Shoot the Messenger uh, page on the website as well. So you can go there, and that's got a list of all the 
all the wines and spirits and things we've talked about over the last couple of months as well. Oh, that's great, Miles. Thank you. It makes it so so much handy because often people do listen to one of our episodes a few weeks after we've dropped it, and it's always really good to have that information on your website as well as our show notes. Thanks, Miles. I look forward to next week. Hopefully we might see you in person. And, um, yes, you will. Keep, keep drinking. And thank you, Prince Weinstall, for your wonderful support of our podcast. Thank you. Corrie, it's now time for Crush of the Week for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas, and you have a crush. I have a big crush, Caro. Former basketballer Lauren Jackson, who received one of sport's highest accolades on the weekend, she is my crush. She is the first female Australian player inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in the USA. In fact, I think she's probably the first player, although we do... Lindsay Gaze uh, was, but Lindsay Gaze yep. was, but was that for coaching? I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, he was a player, but yes, yes, yes yeah. So, yep. so I just think for anybody who had any doubt at all about Lauren Jack- Jackson's contribution, this should probably confirm that she is one of Australia's greatest athletes. Uh, this news really explodes any doubts that anyone may have. And she joins sporting greats like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and, of course, as you just said, Lindsay Gaze, who's the only other Australian in the Hall of Fame. She's a she's, a, she's just a champion, Caro. She's played in the American Basketball League for more than a decade. She's a seven-time WNBA All-Star. She's a winner of the WNBA Defensive Player of the Year. She has captained the Australian women's team. She's won medals at four Olympic Games. She helped the Opals in that amazing World Cup victory in 2006, which I can still remember. And also etched in my memory is when she carried the Australian flag at the opening of the London Olympics, the first Australian female athlete to do so. She's, I was there, Corrie. I was there. That's You were too. <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten no, you went to London. It, look, she, she's actually... Um, She's our best basketballer, you know, male or female, and um, that that is a very appropriate crush, and it's just fabulous to Cara, see her I, in the I, Hall of Fame. Can I just ask, what were you doing then on my screen, rolling up orange bandi- uh, pink bandages? No, no. <laughs> Was I that boring? It's actually a beautiful bunch of pink roses arrived for me. And, oh, it's um, ribbon. I was just rolling. Sorry? <laughs> it's it was, ribbon. I was just... It was it's pink ribbon that was wrapping up my roses. Even in quarantine, you're thrifty. You're saving that pink grow grain ribbon for another time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I've also got some bunting here. You know they sell – oh, that's one of my Dutch facts. They sell beautiful cloth bunting in the local Albert Hines supermarket for about – Eight euros. Can you believe that? Oh, in the yeah. lead up to King's Day. Anyway, I digress, Corrie, because it is now time for BSF and you have a book. I do, Caro. Now, if I hold this beautiful cover up to the screen, I know our potties can't see it, but can you see this beautiful cover of this book? I'm reading Love in Five Acts and a beautiful picture of a woman in a white one-piece bathing suit. Oh, I love this book. I think you'll really love it too. It's by a German novelist, Daniela Crean, and it has just been translated. It sold 150,000 copies in Germany when it was first released. Caro, this is a really beautiful novel, very easy to read, very accessible. The story of five women and each chapter is one of the women's stories. So it's a bit, it's the structure is a bit like a short story, which makes it accessible. You can come in and out, but each story, each woman is in, interconnected with at least one or 
more women in the book. And the way that they're incorporated is looking at how love enters their lives, how the 21st century modern woman tries to combine independence and uh, and dreams and hopes and aspirations often of a career from a career perspective with the love of their life or trying to find Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright uh, and and working the whole kind of modern woman thing of kids or do you get pregnant? Do you go online to find a man? When you do find a man, should you be super choosy and, you know, yes, he's the one, or the he'll do, or should you wait for Mr. Wright? It's just such an interesting story. The five characters are terrific. There's the bookseller, Paula, who is grieving for a child who died, but trying not to succumb to the huge weight of grief nor be defined by that grief. There's Judith, who is a very uh, driven doctor, uh, um, professionally driven doctor, and she's trying to find a man uh, without quashing her ambitions or her fiercely protected freedom. There's Britta, who wants to be a writer, and she is trying to deal with trying to get time as a writer with the impact of having a couple of small kids who, of course, demand attention. There's Malika, who is trying to pursue happiness without the baggage of her parents, and that's an interesting story. And then the fifth woman is her beautiful actress sister, Jorind. Jorind is coming to terms with an unexpected pregnancy and a failed relationship. Gosh, it's a great book. 21st Century Everyday Dilemmas and Confusions and Uncertainties. We've all felt different parts of this, Caro. You've gone through stuff like this. I've gone through stuff like this. And I love the way Daniela Crane gently takes us through each story. So that is called Love in Five Acts. It is a new release by Daniela Crane, and you will find it at a good bookshop near you. Now, Caro, you have a screen, which I actually caught on Sunday night. I caught the second, I think it's the second episode. Yeah, I binged Smother, which is a new um, a new um, Sunday night drama on the ABC, but you can get the whole lot on iView, which I, I completely have. I've done Atlantic Crossing, which I told you about last week, which you will love, the Norwegian royal family yes, and their connection it. with the American government I've in World War II. Oh, you, it, it, look, it's fascinating. I mean, it's a bit like The Crown, except what they've done with Atlantic Crossing is after every episode they put out a historical fact-check list about what they, what definitely happened, what they think could have happened, what might have happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, Smother stars Dervla Kerwin, who, of course, we, we all fell in love with in Balakus Angel all those years ago. Oh, and she ends up with the priest. And oh, then, and then that- she died in the cellar. Oh, Do you that remember? was a tragic, tragic ending. She I was the pub you. owner and she died in the cellar. I, I, I remember I couldn't talk for a week. I know, I know. Um, anyway, she plays the the mother hen, the mother of a man who is found dead very early in the first episode, the wife, sorry, um, of a man who was found dead early in the first episode at the end of her, I think it's her 50th birthday party. I think it's either her 50th or her 60th. Um, it is, look, it's very broad churchish, don't you think? Yeah, well, it feels the like land. a, Caro, honestly, because I, I, I feel I've really missed out not seeing the first episode and the second I had to fill in the blanks. Uh, not, oh, Corrie, not you've got to see the first episode. But I do, I was, I was absolutely uh, knocked out by the scenery and I'm trying to sort of work out, is it Northern Ireland, the Northern Ireland coast where they live? I'm not, I can't kind of place it. Oh, I haven't checked it out, but it's definitely the Irish coast. It's the most beautiful, picturesque village, well-sweeping 
rugged, you know, seas and rocks and cliffs and a beautiful village. The house is just to die for, which you see at the start of every episode. She and her husband, the one who dies, have three children, one they have together. She has one and the husband had one. They brought one each into the marriage. All the women all seem to be these gorgeous, wonderful girls. At the start of the show, you learn very quickly that all of them have massive, massive issues. Um, It's a murder mystery. It does, you know, there's a couple of jump-the-shark moments where you go, oh, would that have happened? There are some fascinating characters. Um, One daughter has two um, adopted children with her husband. The ex-wife turns up. She's clearly a reformed alcoholic. There's a massive backstory there. One daughter is pregnant, massive backstory there. And the third daughter seems to be suffering from some form of bipolar disorder, massive backstory there. But Dervla is sort of trying to hold the family together. She has a that that her, her her husband announces at the birthday party that she's moving out with her boyfriend and he's giving her her freedom as a birthday present. Always, and always, boy, always oh, a boy. showstopper. That kind of line, isn't it? Oh, anyway, I, I really look. I really recommend it. It's a great diversion. Smother. Watch it on ABC iView. Now, you've got a wonderful mushroom recipe, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, this is a great, this is, of course, is a fabulous time for mushrooms, as everyone knows. And on Saturday night, we had just a small gathering at home, including your husband, who's batching it at the moment. Brendan came over as well. And, I um, hope he's batching. <laughs> Certainly hope he is. <laughs> well, he, he did come with a beautiful date who has jet black hair. And her, her name is Queenie. She's not a stripper. I, Stressing. She's not a stripper. She is I a heard little Queenie made a made an made a She is your new black little Labrador puppy, and I can't believe I've seen her before. You have, but oh, Carrie, you are just going to. She was so well behaved. She only did a whittle on the carpet once. <laughs> she did. She did bite. She did bite. Um, Katie on the chin or scratch. I think she bit her actually with her little baby teeth. Oh. So there was a bit oh, of blood. Really? Yeah, there was a bit of blood happening. And Pete, my Pete, the next morning looked at his hands and he was covered in scratches because, of course, he'd been smothering her with love. So, oh, no, no one told me that. Oh, no, I, no, no. no. We, we all understand. Sadly, it's all I, part of the deal. Sadly, I don't think that that's the only flaw she's been weighing on. And um, I think she's been spending a lot of time on our bed too. But anyway, anyway more back, of that later. back to the recipe. We digress. I was in the uh, greengrocers on Saturday morning and I saw all, as there is at the moment, it's all markets and greengrocers, a vast range of beautiful mushrooms. And so I bought some shiitake and some button and some Swiss. And uh, when I was cooking up the just a little pass around before we sat down to the main course, I did this recipe from Bon Appetit and it is called, and we'll put it on the show notes, crostini with mushroom prosciutto and blue cheese. This is so easy, but it is just yummy. Three, this makes about 18 serves. You cut up your um Cut, cut up your um, breadstick or whatever it is, sourdough loaf, and make sure you put a bit of oil and salt on the top and stick it in the oven on a low heat so it comes out nice and crispy. And then you put three tablespoons of butter into a pan, all your mushrooms, um, it, you know, depends how thick or otherwise you want it to be. Uh, you put two garlic cloves, uh, half a cup of whipped cream or whipping cream. I just put normal cream because it was what was in the fridge and half a cup of crumbled blue cheese. And you also put in half a tablespoon of chopped 
uh, thinly sliced prosciutto and obviously have some herbs to decorate. I just put in stacks of um, rocket because that's all I had and a bit of parsley from the garden. So you melt the butter, add the mushrooms, garlic, saute it all through. It takes about 10 minutes. Add the cream, boil until the liquid is absorbed. Remove from the heat, add the blue cheese, not on the stove. And then the cheese will melt and you mix in the prosciutto, which I had actually just pan fried ever so slightly at the start, and then salt and pepper to taste and away you go. Spoon it onto your crostini, which has come out of the oven. Delicious. And Caro, GLT on this recipe, I did make a wee bit too much mixture, so put it in the fridge and used it last night as a pasta sauce with a little bit of white wine added. Heaven, this is a great pass-around recipe for autumn and winter. So that's you do it. Love, you do love a pass around hot suggestion. You're well, very good at that. Well, I love a hot suggestion. Remember when you went mushrooming and got all those fabulous hot suggestion mushroom recipes? Yeah. It sounds a bit like that. Yeah, it is. And, and in fact, in that one, we used three cheeses. But I think the, the trick with this one is the blue cheese because it's got that lovely salty tang about it. So it was just really great. But look, that was BSF. Thank you, of course, Red Energy. Red Energy, call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. And the Melbourne-based team will help you out. Now, Caro, you are grumpy. You were grumpy last week. I suppose if you're in quarantine, you're grumpy all the time, really. Well, no, I haven't been. Look, I haven't been grumpy. Have I bored you with, uh, with my coffee situation here? No, please do. You know, I love – well, I'm sorry to go on, and I've maybe already told Miss Jane, but it is so frustrating. It's not too much to have a coffee every day. And, you know, I like my takeaway coffee. Someone said I'll get in a machine. I don't want to bring in a coffee machine. That is ridiculous. So I, I ring up the takeaway people and they offer all this lovely takeaway. I order a strong flat white. Sorry you've had to buy your own the last six weeks, Corrie. Oh, Very sorry about that. Devastated about that, Caro. Um, um, thank you. That will be $4.50. Okay. Oh, but there's a $10 minimum. I said, oh, well, I'll just leave cash at the door. No, you can't leave cash at the door because you're in a quarantine hotel. Oh, all right. Well, um, can I just pay it on? On my credit card. Well, there's a $10 minimum. Order something else. I don't want anything else. I just want my coffee. <laughs> anyway, it's a 10-act play. We've finally got a system going where I pay $10 every two days and I get a coffee every day. So, you know, there's a maybe a dollar or two left over that I'm giving them. That is absolutely fine. Cara, you're, you're working the system a treat there. Corrie, how easy is it when I'm in Melbourne or Amsterdam, for that matter, you wander into your local coffee shop, get your coffee, you're done. This involves ringing up, waiting on the line, giving your credit card number every two days, explaining that it's a two-day deal. Oh, I realise I have got not much to worry about and I'm in quarantine, but it is driving me nuts. Anyway. Well, maybe there's a business opportunity for some enlightened and entrepreneurial coffee maker who has thought about maybe putting a van or a little shop near Caro's Quarantine Hotel in Sydney. <laughs> now, six quick questions, Corrie. Will you be tuning into the Friends Reunion, which starts streaming on May 27? Of course I will, Caro. Is the Pope a Catholic? Does Phoebe have curly hair? Yes, I, I cannot <laughs> wait. Uh, and this is called The One Where They Return. Jennifer Aniston, Lisa Kudrow, Courtney, Matt LeBlanc, Matthew, Perry, David, Schwimmer... They're all back together since the show wrapped up in 2004 and I think this will be a ratings phenomenon. So it's supposed to be streaming from uh, May 27, I think is the date. So where we go with that, can't wait. 
Caro, post-quarantine, what public event are you most looking forward to attending? I've got a list of three, Corrie. I've got the Dreamtime game at the MCG, which is in early June, Richmond, Essendon. I haven't been to the footy for a long time. I've got the American, uh, I think it's uh, an American ballet trilogy, New York trilogies, the Australian ballet, which I'm going to with my mum in early June that I thought I would never get to again, having missed the ballet last year. And our dear friend Deborah Conway is touring Australia at the moment with a huge list of great stars like Kate Sobrano and Wendy Matthews and even Leo Sayer. And they're performing at the Palais on May 28, which will be a wonderful concert. So there's three. Now, Corrie, does it surprise you that Paddington 2 has knocked Citizen Kane off its number one best film ever perch, according to RottenTomatoes.com? I can't believe that. I am not surprised, Carol. You know how I love Paddington 2. I raved about it and I put it forward with BSF a couple of years ago when Hattie and I sat down and watched it together. Hugh Grant is amazing in this. So what does this constitute, this greatest movie of all time, this honour that Paddington 2 has has uh, suddenly been awarded by RottenTomatoes.com. It means that it is the movie that has the most favourable reviews in the world. And as you just said, it's knocked Citizen Kane off its perch. And I think um, third or fourth in that list is Godfather Part 2. Paddington 2 is now considered the greatest movie of all time. And I, I still surprised. haven't seen it. Okay, well, just wait, just wait till you and Sunday are snuggled up one Sunday afternoon and you can both uh, do yourself a treat. Um, I can't wait for that. I'll do it this week. I've got plenty of time. <laughs> Carol, what was the most successful spin of the week? Oh, definitely Richmond's attempt to just write off um, two of their young players getting into a fight in a nightclub, one of which is their best player of the year, Shy Bolton, breaking his wrist. And coming out and saying you need to stick up for your mates and sometimes you can't walk away, even though you should. Ridiculous by Damien Hardwick and anyone who has known anyone who's been involved in a fight that has led to tragedy because punches can do that. Um, The media sort of let them get away with it. Brendan Gale defended him. I don't think Peggy O'Neill did enough, as I mentioned earlier. Um, even Gillan McLaughlin in the end had to step in and say he didn't agree. But Damien Hardwick doubled down and Richmond won a tight game and they've got away with it, although they're still being investigated by the AFL and that incident is, I should say. So maybe they won't, but I cannot believe that they managed to spin their way out of that one. Now, You, Corrie, have, you not- have really have the angers with Damien Hardwick at the moment. You can't forgive him, can oh. you? No, that's it. No, I take every single case on its merits and I thought that was a ridiculous thing to say. I don't think that that sets a good example at all. Now, our favourite, favourite Nora Ephron would have been 80 this week. Tell me your favourite, tell me her favourite work and a killer quote. Well, I, every, in, your, in your opinion, I should say. As a screenwriter, she, I think she just mastered the romantic comedy. If you think about When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, You've got mail. She was responsible for Julie and Julia, which we, you and I loved with Meryl Streep playing Julia Child. And, of course, the wonderful Meryl Streep film of years ago, Heartburn. But uh, I would say when Harry met Sally, Carol, I reckon that film changed uh, romantic comedy. It was almost like a nod to those wonderful 1940s Catherine Hepburn, um, Gregory Peck kind of 
um, or Spencer, Spencer Tracy. Tracy. Yeah, yeah, those kind of wonderful, that wonderful genre, so smart, so clever. And my favourite quote, and there are many of Nora Ephron's, and if you want to read a whole lot of them, I Feel Bad About My Neck and Other Thoughts on Being a Woman is a great collection of essays that we sell in the shop. My favourite of hers is, Oh, how I regret not having worn a bikini for the entire year. I was 26. If anyone young is reading this, go right this minute. Put on a bikini and don't take it off until you're 34. Love that. Yeah. And another one is Scribblings, another great book of her articles. And there's... um. Oh, that line, the argument they have about Casablanca early on in When Harry Met Sally is one of the great, one of the great um, written scenes. It is such, anyway. it's such a smart movie. And Caro, finally, I need to have three more unusual day-to-day Dutch facts, please, because I just can't well, get enough. I, I've only got two for you today, Corrie, but they're interesting. Do you know when a baby is born in the Netherlands, you have to register their name within three days? Oh. And if you, if you don't, you, you're breaking the law. Oh. So you you know how some people, we know, t- take days, weeks to name their baby? You have three days to name your baby well, and I you su- have to go and register. I suppose that's fair enough. You've had nine months to think about it. I know. It's just quite interesting, I thought. It is quite interesting. And, and what I loved is that nobody closes their front curtains and blinds. So when you're walking home of an evening... You know, you'll be seeing a man as I used to every, most nights actually, because he was in my street. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you're about to say next. (laughs) He was playing the piano. There was a beautiful painting. Oh, rats. That looked like, that looked like it was by someone like Mirka Moira and this man playing a piano or you watch people working or you watch families sitting around or someone in their kitchen. They have their windows open and they don't care. Do they? It's extraordinary, Corrie. What about, you know, the night's passion or the day's passion. <laughs> no, you don't see, Well, I mean, obviously, if you're going to, you know, be naked or have sex, I assume you close your windows in. But it's so lovely looking into people's lives. And it's just a really lovely, open sort of way they do things. Anyway. No, look, I, I, do, I do agree with, with that, Caro. I'm walking a bit at the moment in the early evening, you know, five o'clock, which now, of course, is dark in Melbourne. And it is, there is something warming to the heart when you walk down the street and you see people haven't yet closed their blinds or their curtains and you have a little glimpse of domestic life, but more particularly the twinkling lights that come from someone's living room. Corrie, it's been a pleasure as always. We want to thank again our supporters, Red Energy, 100% Australian Electricity and Gas, and, of course, Prince Wine Store. You can connect with us via Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to get our show notes delivered and Corrie's wonderful mushroom recipe, her hot suggestion, they'll be in your inbox each week if you hit the sign-up button on Facebook or in our show notes. Or send us an email and we'll subscribe you. The email is feedback at don'tshootpod.com. Carol, just quickly have to interrupt before we say goodbye. Don't forget, everybody, next Monday, the 24th of May at 6pm, you can join Carol and I for breakout of quarantine drinks. Yes, we're going to do it via Zoom. Thanks to Red Energy. Just join us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au if you'd like to be part of it. And Miss Jane, we'll get back to you. And Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger, Carol. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, most satisfied customers 11 years in a row. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on 131 806? 
and Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. For all things home design, enjoy Homestar with me, Shana Blaze. All the ideas and inspiration you need for your home, DIY design projects and expert advice. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available from wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.